You know, not only is there the temptation, even for believers in the church, to fear, but another thing that is painfully obvious for the church today is how are we going to minister to each other with all the social distancing in place? And, and, and with a, an idea that it may not be lessening in the near future. How are we as a church going to um, take care of each other, know about each other, reach out and help each other? We, we've had to get really creative over the last few months, and I just want to personally applaud many of you who are here today and who are, who are watching on video, how you are being so generous towards how are being so loving and kind towards your neighbors during this pandemic. Uh, it's been really encouraging in my heart, and, I, and I, we just got to keep it going. By the grace of mercy of God, we got to keep that going. But through the crisis, this brings us back to second chapter. Through the crisis, have you noticed that there are many people who are not instinctively generous? Like it's not. Have you noticed that? I mean, just remember back to the grocery store fiascos when this whole thing started. All those generous people who were entering those stores and leaving them with tons of toilet paper. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the news of people not being generous comes as a shock to any of us, does it? You're like, what? What are you talking about? Everybody I know is generous. We all suffer from this infection called sin, Right? And uh, sin tempts us to live for ourselves. It always has, and it always will, until it's eradicated when Jesus comes back. And as the Bible declares it to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, and he, that's Jesus, and he died, why? For all those who live, so that all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised. Whether you are rich or poor or whether you are somewhere in between, you will struggle with the obsessive self-focus over a lot of things that have to do with you. And one of the big ones is money. Would you agree? Money. Uh, consider this observation. When it comes to our income, which hopefully you have, uh, we tend to think first of who? It's, it's come as be honest, it's church. Ourselves. Very good. Yeah, good answer. What I need, what I want, um, what dreams money can buy me. And because of that self focus, obviously another common thought that many of us have how much do I owe now? <laughs> That's what money does. And we, and we are typically inclined to, to think this before we consider how we can be generous with the cash that God has put into our possession. Um, I'm not suggesting that we are never generous. I've already applauded many of you for, for being generous. And uh, I personally know people who, who give way beyond the norm. But here's the thing, even in the church, they are on a short list, unfortunately. And maybe like me, you've, you have found it so telling as we've gone through Jude and now we're going through Peter's letters that they both wrote to the church, that as they expose the teaching that is so prevalent in their day and has been really ramped up in our day of, of false teachers, of, of false gospels, of false ways of living life in the Christian community, that one of the big themes has been 
follow the money. Money. Both of these inspired writers uh, reveal the greed that's so inherent in false teaching. Their, their, their lust for money, their fleecing of the flocks of God. And that's a telltale sign. It's, it's something that we should take notice of in our own lives. A telltale sign that they're not speaking the entire truth. Uh, isn't it interesting, as we've gone through these two letters, how truth and money and lifestyle all intersect? They're all connected. Uh, we went over Second uh, Peter chapter 2 in the first 16 verses last week, and uh, this morning we're going to take in verses 17 through 22, because Peter continues the warning that all the claims for truth swirling around us today on the news, in social media, even out of some churches, it's not always what it seems to be the truth. There is a very real and consistent spiritual battle going on. We need to be aware of this. It rages around us all day. It rages, rages around you, and sometimes we're not even aware of it. It's, it's, it's some often unseen. And there are plans that are being laid specifically for you, for your demise. There are plans and strategies to tear you up so that the people watching you walk in your faith will see you destroyed. There are, that's going on every day. And last week with Peter's illustration from the Old Testament a prophet for hire. What was his name? That's right. Balaam. That's right. Balaam. He was blind to the sword of the Lord being drawn to destroy him on the road, if not for being woken up by his donkey, speaking out to him. Many today are also blind, so blind to this spiritual clash that's going on all around us. Uh, we're in danger, and we don't even know this. We just walk through our day like Peter is our reminder. Peter is our warning voice. Uh, Peter is our snap back to spiritual realities that are happening constantly in our lives. And that we should be conscious of, that we should be praying over every single day. Do you? I hope Peter wakes us up and gets us there. He continues his sober warnings in verse 17 of, of chapter 2 Peter 2.17. Men, he goes on about these guys, they're waterless springs and mists driven by a storm, from whom the utter depths of darkness have been reserved. Look at verse 18. For by speaking high sounding, they speak really, really well. They're eloquent. They've got great stories to capture your emotions. They'll get you laughing and crying within five minutes. For by speaking high sounding, but what? Empty words. They are able to entice. Remember, who's he speaking to? No, he's talking to the church. He's talking to you and I. Entice. With what? With fleshly desires and with debauchery. People who have just escaped from those who reside in error. In the same way, Jude, when we went through that letter, described these false teachers as being clouds without rain. It's an allusion to to the Proverbs. There's many Proverbs about this, and one is Proverbs 25, 14, which says, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. In both letters, the point's the same, and we got to see this. 
There are people who will promise you the world, but they will deliver nothing. They will prey on and they will take advantage of our willing gullibility. Of course, not many of us in this room today would be willing to stand up and admit to our own gullibility, right? Especially in front of our spouse. You just don't want to do that. Why? Because we're too proud for that. Well, we need to wake up that there is an inherent gullibility that comes along with our sin. That sinful desire every human has to be led astray after some promise, some alluring promise, some offer. It's in all of us. Don't you want to walk with eyes wide open? That's what Peter's all about. These people will guarantee you spiritual refreshment, but it never comes. And you have to come back next week to get some more. Oh, and by the way, it's going to cost you. So much for Jesus' water of refreshment. Remember the woman at the well? And Jesus offered her water what? That would never run dry. Everlasting water. You'll never have to draw again. Once I give it, you've got it. In fact, those who accept their teachings will receive the opposite of a blessing. They will be condemned along with their blind guides. Have you heard that before? Anything about blind guides? It's just as Jesus pointed out in Matthew chapter 15, verse 14. And who did Peter spend three and a half years with? So you're going to hear a lot of Jesus repeated in this letter. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 14, Leave them. They are blind guides. If someone who is blind leads another who is blind, guess what happens? They both fall into the pit. And who do these predators go after? The weak. So you've got to ask yourself, are you the weak or are you the strong? Those who just left, recently got saved, they just left their sinful lifestyles. They've made changes. They're, they're in the process of transformation, of sanctification, and they've just left, and that's who they go after. They go after people who may have been believers for 50, 60 years, but who do not immerse themselves on a regular basis in God's words of life. That's who they go after and pray on. Verse 19, although these false teachers promise such people freedom, it's a big word today, they themselves are enslaved to immorality. In addition to the cash, the money, there's also this sinful lifestyle that goes along with them. For whatever a person succumbs to, that's what he's enslaved to. This is a principle of life that Peter's given us. And, and a big theme today in our world is freedom. I mean, it's huge, especially with all the restrictions that are in place to keep us safe from the, the virus that's global. And freedom is never truly appreciated or acknowledged until when? Until it's taken away, and then we feel the pinch. Or, or even if it's just threatened to be taken away, that's enough for people to, even if it's only temporary, and then we feel it. And then we long for it to come back. And there are those in our society who will even take desperate action, even entertain violence <laughs> to get the freedom back. Now, this freedom that the charlatans offer everyone in the church, they're on the airways. You can, you can watch them this morning. I encourage you not to. 
these charlatans offer. It's, it's a freedom to let go of God's laws, uh, to be untroubled by the fear of a final judgment. The truth is, what? That you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ's death payment for our sins on the cross, we are free in Christ, and therefore there is no final judgment for us. Amen? Do you believe that? Yeah. But false teaching, what it does is it mistranslates, misinterprets this freedom of no final judgment into, okay, if there's not going to be any judgment, then I'm free to indulge my own sinful desires. I'm free to seek what is good in life as I determine what is individually good for me in my own eyes. So if there's no final judgment for followers of Jesus Christ, then I can get away with, you fill in the blank. Don't say it out loud. So then I can get away with. That's how some people go through their life. Oh, I might get disciplined from God. Oh, yeah, yeah, it might be bad, but I won't lose my salvation. This freedom is just like the freedom that the nation of Israel went through in the days of the judges. In Judges chapter 17 and in Judges chapter 21, it says, everyone did as he saw fit because they were children of God, his chosen nation to be given a promised land, land full of milk and honey. They did whatever they wanted. No fear of a final judgment day can sure be misapplied, can it? Especially in our current day and in this present life. And here's another more subtle angle as we, as we delve into this, for we followers of Jesus Christ who, who consider ourselves free. In practice, okay, just think about it as you go through your life, in practice, you could be overtly selfish, right? Which means you do what you desire and you do it for your own good. And then some would say the opposite of that is this apparent altruism that may be a part of our church life and your life, to do what is good for others. They actually might not be that far apart when we misinterpret what our freedom in Jesus Christ is, even somebody who, who seeks their own selfish interests always has an excuse, right? Can, can, can defend it, can justify their conduct, like it says in Proverbs 21 too. All of a person's ways seem right in his own opinion. So you can go ahead and sin and do the wrong thing, but you will justify it, you will defend it, you'll make excuses for it, but the Lord evaluates the motives. On the other hand, seeking the good of others without any reference to worship of God. That's why you're doing it. Without any reference to the purposes of God in your life as a reason for doing something good for someone else can merely be another form of idolatry. It's ultimately self-serving. Have you ever experienced this, that you did something good because it feeds your addiction to feel good about who you are? Like it's about you. It's not about the person you just helped. It makes you feel good about what you're accomplishing with your life. Oh, and by the way, it just happens to be the right thing to do. It's like a double dipping. But Peter tells us here so plainly in chapter 2 
that all that kind of people-centered freedom, which I am hearing on the airwaves every day, and I'm getting sick and tired of it, even if it's for a good cause, it's illusionary. You're kidding yourself. In fact, it's one of the most oppressive kinds of bondage. It's not a bondage to some law or to some authority who's over you. It's a, it's a bondage to the internal power of sin inside of you. The desire to make yourself significant, to feel significant without God. True freedom, freedom means being released from the tyranny of sin's power. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He broke the power of sin. Do we live like that? This is the wake-up call Peter's given us. True freedom is being free to do what is right, free to do what is right because it pleases God, because it worships God. It is to God and for God without any thought of an enhancement to who I am because I am already everything in Jesus Christ. Aren't you? I have all I need in Jesus Christ. I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to prove myself. Our freedom only comes through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit of God. And here are a few references in case you're wondering about what I'm saying. Here are a few references from ultimate truth, which is God's Word, to back up the truth I've just presented. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is present, what? There is freedom. Is He present in your life? And we all, with unveiled faces, what are we supposed to be doing? Reflecting the glory of the Lord as we go about our daily walk. And we're to be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We sing that song, don't we, Jason? Yes, we do. Actually, we we don't sing that song. We sing this verse in song. Thank you. Which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And listen to what, how Jesus put it in to, to those who were following him in John 8, 31. Then Jesus said to the Judeans who had believed in him, if you continue to follow my teaching, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and what? The truth, doing the truth, not knowing it, but doing the truth will set you free. You want to be free? <laughs> and listen to how they responded. We are the descendants of Abraham, Jesus. What are you you talking about? We Jews. Abraham's our dad. We're in, right? We have never been anyone's slaves. I mean, have they not read their history? How can you say you will become free? We don't need to be told we we are free. And Jesus answered them. Okay, I'll tell you the solemn truth. I'm going to tell you the truth now. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So everybody in the crowd immediately, what? Hangs their head. (laughs) Like we do. The slave does not remain in the family forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son, which is Jesus, sets you free, you will really be free. I know you're Abraham's descendants. I know that. But guess what? Even though you're Abraham's descendants, you want to kill me with your freedom because my teaching makes no progress among you. I'm telling you the things I have seen while I was with the Father. As for you, 
Here it comes. This is for you and I. Practice the things you have heard from the Father. We can be so blind. We can be so self-fulfilled and satisfied. Paul says in Romans 6, 12, I told you there's going to be a few verses because this is like powerful truth for us today. Verse 12, chapter 6, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. It wants you. It's always been this way. It lies at the door waiting. And do not present your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead. Quit walking around like you're still dead. And your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness, to do the right things. For sin will have no mastery over you, follower of Jesus Christ. Because you're not under the law. Wow, that's a reversal. But you're under grace. And look how Paul describes what we are now free to do. A couple verses later, verse 22 of chapter 6 of Romans. But now, freed from sin, and what? Enslaved to God. That's hard for someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit of God to understand how you can be free yet still a slave. But look who you're a slave to. And then you have this benefit, sanctification, to be changed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the end is what? Eternal life. For the payoff of sin is death. It always is. It always will be. But what is our payoff? The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And the last verse is James 1.25 where he says, But the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty, the person who takes up the Bible and reads what Scripture says and fixes his attention there and then does not become a forgetful listener, of what he's just seen in God's Word, but lives it out, he'll be blessed in what he does. Do you want to experience freedom? I don't think there's anybody who'd say, no, I don't want that. Do you want to be blessed in everything you do? Whatever your hands touch, obey my commandments. Peter goes on to describe how bad choices within the Christian community, will leave you in a desperate place. Verse 20, for if they had, for if after they have escaped the filthy things of the world, which we all know about, and they escaped it through the rich knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again get entangled in them. They go back there and succumb to them. They don't just go back there. They full bore, they're right back in. Their last state, where they find themselves now, has become worse for them than their first. The picture that springs to my mind um, is a person venturing back to the area of a huge, giant spider web, a web that they've just escaped from. They've got off that sticky mess and they got away and then they come back, maybe believing that now they can handle it or the situation, only to get entangled, only to get uh, mastered by this huge spider, which is going to what? Suck the juice out of your body. Yeah, exactly. Why would you ever go back there? And for those of you who have not seen or read the books, you won't understand that illustration at all, but I apologize. 
Peter's point is a virtually verbatim quotation of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 11. But there Jesus was talking about the return of a demon that had been exercised out of someone. It had been removed from a person's life, but because nothing had replaced the empty space that was left in that former space, the demon comes back with seven more demons who are worse than the original demon was and make the new situation worse than the old. And Peter, who, who personally heard Jesus tell that truth story, now here exposes that people become entangled that they had been in. And apparently what's worse about this is, number one, 